0: Slendy, a go, Slendy, ayy. Hit it up the park. Hit it the park. Hit him with a strike. Hit him with a strike. From the national anthem, anthem to the bottom of the night. I'm in Slendy, a go, Slendy, Egglo, Slendy, Egglo, Slendy, Ay. You already know what's up. What's that? Another home run. But you know the job ain't done. So we hold that trophy
1: up. Ay. Alright, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 481 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here. It is October 1st, 2023. We've made it to October, but this was the final day of 2023 that the Padres would be playing in October. Uh, obviously, a sad ending to the 2023 season. I mean, they won the game, but regardless of how the result was going to happen, we're obviously going to look back at this season and just uh, say, what if, you know, like, what if this talent would have lived up to expectations? What if some injuries wouldn't have happened? What if guys just played better baseball? What would have happened? You know, because you've got multiple players that have said, I think Blake Snell has said it, Juan Soto has said it, about how this is the most talented team that they have played on. And the most talented team that those guys have played on got wasted this season. You know, Josh Hader had like a sub two ERA, like Snell wins the Cy Young or he should, he's going to win the Cy Young. Uh Sung Kim keeps getting better. You had the positive moments from Luis Camposano and Gary Sanchez, Michael Walker, Seth Lugo. Those look like solid additions. And. You have nothing to show for it. Gonna be sitting on the couch at the end of this season. Uh actually, you know, they're all the players aren't even going back to San Diego, I don't think. I think some of the players are just flying to wherever they're gonna go for vacation or wherever they stay in the offseason. And then uh the Padres Clubhouse guys or whatever, they they'll just ship the stuff to them. Um obviously the big question going forward here is. When Bob Melvin gets back to San Diego, they have that meeting tomorrow. That's when it's scheduled, at least, according to Kevin Acey. The meeting, don't know if it's going to be at Petco or wherever, but the meeting between him, A.J. Preller, Eric Gruppner. hopefully Peter Seidler is there somehow, like um, on Zoom. I don't think he's going to be there physically. I don't know if this is going to be at Petco or whatever, but um, this big meeting to possibly decide the future of this Padres organization? Is Bob Melvin going to stay? Is AJ Preller going to stay? Those are questions that it seems like has not been determined yet. Um, There was a new report from Bob Nightingale that I'm going to get into here after talking about briefly. I'm not going to talk about it for very long. These Padres White Sox games because, you know, they were meaningless at the end of the day. Um, But yeah, Bob Nightingale put out something in his uh, Nightingale notebook, his Sunday notebook today about Bob Melvin and A.J. Preller, and they have told friends and associates that it's simply impossible for the two to coexist, and their meeting on Monday with the Padres' ownership will not change their minds. So essentially, it seems like tomorrow is just going to be, yeah, it didn't work. Let's figure out how we're going to write this press release to send out to the public about how it's uh, Bob Melvin's going to move on or maybe both end up moving on. I think Preller's going to stay. And it's Bob Melvin will end up moving on and maybe he goes and goes to the giants or, you know, the Mets buck showalter. He's not going to be there, but if they're going in a different direction, I don't know if they're going to go hire a, uh, another like real veteran respected manager. If they're going to go in a different direction, they'd probably hire someone a little bit younger. Maybe David Stearns with the Mets is waiting on Craig council because he's going to be a free agent this off season. But Craig Council seems like he really likes it in Milwaukee. So we'll see how that manager situation um, unfolds. Uh, but yeah, we'll get to the Melvin Preller stuff. Uh, but I did want to hit on this uh, Padres White Sox series here briefly. I did touch on Friday's game, I believe, in the last show. Uh, Padres win that one 3-2 to on Saturday. They win 6-1. Michael Walker, seven innings, doesn't give up any runs. Uh, beats Mike Clevenger, obviously three hits allowed one walk, seven punch outs. G man, Choi got his first hit with the Padres. So congratulations to him. It only took him like two months to do that. Don't think he would be coming back next season. Garrett Cooper, maybe, but uh, G man, Choi don't really think so. Um, and you know, Michael Walker, that was my takeaway from the post game reaction yesterday for anyone that watched, I know. I didn't put it out right after the Padres game ended because I was working with San Diego Wave. But um, when I got back home, put out my reaction and Michael Walker was the react. I mean, that was the main thing. Like, this is a guy that came in and yeah, a lot of people are gonna bash the Xander Bogart deal that Preller gave him. Uh, they'll bash some of the other moves that AJ has made. Um, but if you're gonna bash him, how about let's be fair and praise him for some of the moves that he has made some of the moves that he did make in the offseason that ended up working out pretty well. I mean, Seth Lugo, I was impressed. I want him back in a Padres uniform in 2024. Michael Waka. I was impressed. Um, who do I want more back in a Padres uniform? I'd probably pick Seth Lugo. If it doesn't work out as a starter, he can go back to the bullpen. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying like if it doesn't work out as a starter, like we know he can start. I'm not saying that, but like if an injury happens and the best situation for Lugo to help the team is go be in the bullpen. We know he can do that. We know he can give multiple innings and he's both, both guys. I'm not saying Waka is this guy that like cares only about himself or, um, you know, is going to be someone with all these like big quotes to the media and, you know, drama and stuff like that. Neither one is that guy. Um, But, you know, Seth Lugo, he was able to stay healthy with his arm this season. Um, it's not a guarantee that that's going to happen next season. And just because Michael Waka got hurt this season doesn't mean he's going to get hurt next season. But these guys aren't getting any younger. And Michael Waka, he does have a history of having those injuries. So for the sure bet, because both guys, it's not like you're going to get both guys for $7.5 million. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to give guys probably multi-year deals. And the Padres can't guarantee that Seth Lugo comes back. Because he's going to decline the player option, which is I think around seven and a half million dollars, goes out into free agency. Another team can bring him in, uh, even if the Padres offer him more. He can go choose to go to another team. But the Padres can guarantee that Michael Walker comes back, and I'd be happy if Michael Walker came back. But if they're trying to trim payroll, which is what many reporters are saying here, from like two fifty to two hundred, which is a lot. And I again, I still have the viewpoint my opinion on this is I don't think they're going to get all the way down to $200 million. That just seems like a lot. Um, but if they are trying to trim payroll, I mean, giving Michael Walker $16 and a half million for this year or for, I already say this year, like we're moving on to this, to next year already, 24 and 25. That's a lot of money. Uh, I, I think Michael Walker deserves more than seven and a half mil, but probably less than 16 and a half mil. So if they can find a middle point there, um i would i would like to see michael waka come back i would like that but again if you go get it, with michael Walker the 16 and a half million like you can guarantee him coming back if you say hey michael Walker, you don't we don't want to give you the 16 mil we don't have the room for the 16 mil for 24 and for 25 they have to pick that option up at the same time um michael Walker can sit there and be like okay I'll just go sign with another team then. You can the Padres could tell Michael Waka, hey, I want to have a middle ground here, right? Like the Padres can go to Waka, Walker's agent, and be like, we'll offer you two, three-year deal, ten million dollars a year or twelve million dollars a year, just not the 16 and a half. But Walker could be like, Well, I've got another team offering me that same thing. And if you really wanted me, you could have taken the club option and I'm going to go to this team that's going to be interested and maybe is in the playoffs more consistently, right? Maybe they're not going to have a new manager coming in. Um, maybe Waka has a past relationship with that guy. Maybe he goes back to a team like the Red Sox. I don't know. You know, the Red Sox, yes, they're bringing in new a new GM, or, or not GM, I think Brian O'Halloran's their GM, but new president of baseball ops or chief baseball officer, whatever they call that, uh, in, in place of Heim Bloom. But he's familiar with the Red Sox organization, with Alex Corr, and it seems like the Red Sox are going to start to try to spend more money now um, and get back to being the Boston Red Sox. So I'm just throwing that team out there. We'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting offseason, and that's like one of the small questions or smaller questions. It'll be one of the bigger questions probably once we get past this Melvin A.J. thing. Um, The big question will be Juan Soto, I think. Do you trade him? Do you not? But that is definitely a part of this offseason with uh, you know, Nick Martinez as well. There's a decision there. Uh Waka, Lugo, Bullpen, how are you gonna fill that? There's question marks. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Waka, really good end to his season. Um, I was not expecting him to go seven innings. I, I because it's his last start. I wasn't yeah, last start you can air it out like Lugo did with his last start in San Francisco, but If you want to go into the offseason healthy, I mean, I wouldn't have blamed Michael Walker in a game that doesn't matter, him going like five innings and being like, hey, I'm healthy, all right, I'm going to just end it here. But he went seven innings and only gave up three hits, didn't give up any runs. And it was good to see Mike Clevenger get knocked around, you know, because Padres fans, the last time we saw Mike Clevenger pitch in a Padres uniform, what was happening? Pretty much that. Not being able to go very deep, uh, getting knocked around, so it doesn't erase the postseason memory from last year, but it's kind of like, okay, I mean, that that was fun. That was fun to see G-Man Choi, Jerkson Profar, Juan Soto, knocking around Mike Clevenger a little bit there. Um, today, Padres went 2-1. to one. To be honest, for, for those that were watching this game, and I assume people that are watching this live were watching the game, um, I know NFL's on and all that. I, I don't really care. Um WNBA final or WBA finals are coming up next Sunday. I was watching the Liberty Connecticut game. That was a really fun, entertaining game. While this Padres game was going on, so I kind of had double screen. But yeah, I had the Padres game on, and it was a pretty boring game. That that's why it made it very easy for me to to put most of my attention into the Liberty uh, Connecticut Sun game because that, that's playoffs. It was close where this, yeah, it was close, but there were no runs being scored. Padres, White Sox. I was paying attention to it. Like, I could tell you moments in the game that that was happening. But I don't know about you guys, those that were watching this game. It just felt like it was a, a boring game. Um, Pedro Avila, I mean, props to him for his performance today. Obviously, didn't give up any runs. Um, and then late Padres, they get a run. They didn't get a runner on third base until, I think, the 10th inning if I remember that correctly, Um, gets a sack fly, switch situational baseball, scores a run. Uh, Josh Hader pitches in the ninth inning. Rich Hill comes in. And as I said in my post-game reaction, and I agree with this person uh, on social media that tagged me in this about how Bob Melvin, this was like pretty much a a FU towards A.J. Preller. He puts Rich Hill in this game when I think Suarez could have pitched They could have had Jose Espada pitch, who was brought up right for the end of this season. They could have had many guys coming in pitch. And Bomell decides to go to Rich Hill and have him pitch a couple innings uh, in the 10th inning, immediately gives up a run. So he could have got his first save of his career, but ends up not because he gives up a run. Padres, Profar, gets a run in the 11th inning, and then Rich Hill Closes it down, gets his, gets a win to finish off the season, uh, and so the Padres they finish up their 2023 season with an 82 and 80 record, nine and 23 in one run games, two and 12 in extra inning games, a plus 104 run differential, which ended up being better than four of the six National League postseason teams. It was better than Milwaukee, who won their division. It was better than the Philadelphia Phillies, who were the first wild card. It was better than the Miami Marlins, who had a negative 56-run differential. And it was better than the Arizona Diamondbacks, who had a negative 15-run differential. Again, Padres' run differential plus 104. That just shows, and I've said this plenty of times, that just shows how much this Padres' run differential was meaningless. And if you actually took stock into it, you would probably be confused as to why this Padres' team was where they were at. Or you looked at the run differential, you looked at standings, but you weren't watching all these Padres games, you would be like, this doesn't make sense. But run differential isn't everything, especially in a season with this Padres team that didn't come up clutch nearly enough when they needed to, lost a bunch of one run games. It took them till September to win more than what? Three games in a row. They win eight games, I think. That was their biggest winning streak of the year. And they were facing the A's, the Dodgers were already in the playoffs, right? They knew they were going to win the division. They were facing the Rockies, I think. It wasn't super impressive. And the Padres, even just going past the run differential stuff, the extra innings, the one-run games, it's how bad they were in that. If you really want to sum up how bad this Padres team was this season, it would be to look at this playoff scenario that happened here. You know, the Padres, they win 8 games in a row. But they pretty much needed to like go 16-0 to finish off the season. And then they still needed things to go right for them. They needed other teams to suck. And the Chicago Cubs, man, they were helping the Padres out. But the Cubs needed to lose out. And this was going into, I think, this weekend against the White Sox. They needed the Cubs to lose out. They needed the Reds to only win one game. They needed the Marlins to lose out and they were were facing the Pirates, and the Padres obviously needed to win every game. And they ended up winning these last three games of this series, but it was against the Chicago White Sox. And even if the Padres, so okay, so they went out here. Again, they still needed the Cubs stuff to go right for them. They needed the Marlins stuff to go right for them. And that's not even including the Miami Marlins game that, maybe some people forgot about the Monday game. That's not even going to have to be played anymore because the Marlins are already in it. And so they're not going to go back to New York and play the Mets and finish off those four outs in that game. But that would have been necessary for the Marlins. They need the Marlins to actually lose that game. And the Marlins had the lead there. So yeah, just they've dug themselves a huge hole this season and it was too big of a hole. They just were not going to get out of that hole. And it's uh, just a really freaking disappointing season for sure. I mean, I knew this Padres team was out of it for a long time. But you're still left disappointed. And you're still just left, like, unenergetic. I mean, I maybe that's just, the, just how I'm feeling right now. For some reason, I'm kind of under the weather today. Uh, my voice isn't that great. So bear with me. Um, but also, like, it's it's like, okay, it's finally over. The season is finally over. And I'm sure tomorrow I'm going to be pretty enthusiastic uh, because that's the day of the meeting, A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin. But for now, it's, it's just like, okay, it's over. Um, that season sucked. I'm ready to put it in the rear view, but I'm not going to officially. Because I'm going to do a bunch of the player season reviews like I did last off season, Um and, you know, get those up consistently. And there's going to be some more reflecting on this season. Um, but I don't know. Right now, I'm just sitting here kind of just kind of like the players probably just kind of like just burnt out. Um, just, just right now, sitting here right now, because it's like us fans, this goes back to. The fan base, it's not about me, but the fans deserving so much better. And fans continued to watch today's game. They continued to watch when this Padres team was officially eliminated, still, when things weren't going well, still showed up at Petco Park, put so much time into this, so much money into this. And us fans, the fan base doesn't get rewarded. You know, it just absolutely sucks. Um, And I know some of the players in there, they feel really bad about this. Some, maybe they don't feel, they'll probably feel bad, but they probably, they'll move on, you know, in a couple days, they they would have moved on from this because they're not from here. It's not like they're Joe Musgrove or they're not here on long-term deals. They got traded here maybe mid-season or whatever. Uh, But for those that are here, for those that love this team, It was just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch after gut punch this season. And even when they were winning games, it didn't feel like that amazing because you knew that they weren't going to make the postseason. When they went on that eight-game winning streak, I didn't think this Padres team was going to go make the postseason. I already saw what they did in the month of August. You know, it just wasn't good enough. I saw how they started this season. They hadn't been over 500 since like May 10th. And they finally got back to above 500 here in these last couple games here. And Matt Lee, if you listener, viewer of this show on YouTube, if you're watching this right now, I want you to click and join this live stream. Join, come on in here. You owe me 50 bucks. I guess that's the thing I can smile about today. For anyone, any long term viewers of this show or You listen on the podcast, you probably know who Matt Lee is. Comes in on the show and gives his thoughts sometimes. And we made a bet. I forget what month we made this bet in, but it was earlier in the regular season. And things weren't going well. And I think I was still in the phase of, I still believe in this team. And he was off. He was already off. So this was like probably before the All-Star break, I would think. And he was like, yeah, I'll bet you 50 bucks or maybe I said it. I don't know who said it, but 50 bucks that the Padres don't get back to over 500 for the rest of the season. And I thought, yeah, I was <laughs> for a long time there, even with the winning streak, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to give Matt 50 bucks. But the Padres, they win eight games in a row, 11 of 13. They sweep this. Yeah, it was a sweep, right? Yeah. Yeah. They swept this White Sox series, and they finished two games over five hundred. I didn't even really want to have this team finish with a winning record. You know that the the fifty dollars aside, just because I didn't want this to be looked back on. You know, two decades from now, just from casual observers, and be like, "Oh, that was a winning season for AJ Preller," because it's not a winning. This should not be considered a winning season for AJ Preller. It shouldn't be considered a winning season for anyone there it should be considered a failure of a season, right? And if they go win the World Series next year, then we'll look back on this year and be like, well, maybe it wasn't a failure after all. It was just a step on the journey to go win, right? Because they learned some things that they definitely cannot be doing next year, and they ended up fixing it and going and winning it all. I'll I'll look back and won't call 2023 probably a failure. I'll call it a disappointment still. But if there were learning lessons here, Because the ultimate thing here, right, is to go win the World Series. And if they win the World Series and there were some failures, at least in that season, when that season was over, that we thought it was a failure, if there were failures, if there were disappointments along that road, that's okay. And and that's how it is in life as well, right? Like, sometimes you think something's a failure in the moment, but as long as you reach your long-term goal, you get to that goal at some point, You can get rejected, 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 no, 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 being told no, but as long as you like learn things in that process, and then you end up getting to that end goal, which is winning, then really, you look back on those years, and it's like, those years weren't full failures. They were disappointments, but it was all just a part of the journey to succeed, to get to that point. So that's ultimately what I'm hoping this Padres season ends up being, but right now for sure. I mean, it's a failure. Yeah. And it'll continue to be a failure unless they get to that point, right. Of winning. Um, You know, 2021, you look at that failure because sure they got to the NLCS, but they didn't do the ultimate thing. They didn't even get to the world series. And last year I labeled last year as a success. It was progress, right. You know, and, Especially going into 2023, I thought, okay, you did all this without Tatish, You're adding Xander Bogarts. Some of the stuff that a lot of Padres fans thought, right? And we're going to have this big four, but they didn't keep building on that. So it was just a step back. So what do we look at 2022 as now? Just an outlier? I mean, we'll look at 2022 like the se- that season, considering the circumstances. Yeah, I still view it as a success, but the overall big picture, right? The main goal is to go win it all. I view it in terms of that, if this makes sense, hopefully it does. I view that as an outlier. I don't view that as a success because you just took a giant, not just one giant step back, multiple step backs for this season. And you're going to have to dig yourselves out of that hole. I know they start O and o next year, but there's a lot that they're going to have to do. Like, winning a World Series, this franchise has never done it. And that should be our expectation. Like, you can have your expectation for next year being, like, make it to the NLCS, right? But, like, last year made it to the NLCS, and I was sad that they didn't make it to the World Series. I was sad that they didn't go on and win the World Series because they made it that far. You don't know the next time that they're going to make it there. Prime example of that was 2023 here, right? Didn't even make the postseason. So, I mean, the expectation still needs to be there. Like, that level, it still needs to be raised up here. It shouldn't be down just because of what happened this year. We know that there's talent on this team. And if you don't keep that level up here and you put it down, all you're doing, in my opinion, is just letting these guys off the hook. You can't let these guys off the hook. You got to keep that standard high, keep that level high. Um, And you might be, if you keep that expectation high and they don't meet it, then you're going to keep getting disappointed. So maybe some will set the expectation lower so they're not as disappointed. But a lot can happen in a season. And at the beginning of the season, you'll have one expectation and then a lot of stuff can happen. And at the end, your expectations for the team changed and you're still going to be disappointed even if they maybe exceed your lower expectations. I think that's what happened with some Padres fans last year, right? So I know I'm rambling here, but these are just the thoughts that are coming out of my, my head right now, just about this season and the future. How should we look at this season? And again, hopefully big picture wise, you know, in a few years, we're not going to be looking at this season as a failure. We're going to be looking at it as a positive stepping stone. Um, just part of the journey to succeed. Um, but yeah, individually right now, we don't know what the future is going to hold. So yeah, right now, it's no doubt for sure. It's a failure. No doubt about that. Um, by the way, Campy, I'm going to get to the chat. If you want to make sure I get your comment or your question, you can use that super chat button. If you want to join the show, you can click that link that's pinned up at the top of the chat. Uh, Campy, he was placed on the I.L., uh, before this series, or was it was before or Saturday, I forget what day it was, but he was placed on the IL ankle sprain. Musgrove for the 60-day. Chandler Siegel came up, never ended up playing. It was just Brett Sullivan. Um, and looking back on Campy's year, and I'll do I'll do him in you know the player season reviews like I'm gonna do with everyone else on the roster, like I did last off season. Um, but looking back just briefly here on Campy's season. You know, it got, it got shortened because of this injury. It got shortened because of the thumb injury and we didn't think it was going to be that bad. Remember he played the next day. He was warming up Nick Martinez, hurts the thumb, plays the next day, hits a home run on city connect night on that Friday. And it didn't look like it was going to be that bad initially when it was like, okay, he's going to be shut down for a little bit. But then all of a sudden, you know, you got Bob Melvin sitting up there at Dodger stadium in the dugout and He's talking about how Campy's going to miss, I think the words Bommel said was like four to eight weeks, and he ended up missing two months, I think, two 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 and a half months, something like that, so it was it ended up being much longer than I think a lot of Padres fans thought it was going to be, but this was an encouraging year from Campy. I know 49 games, I think that's how many games he ended up finishing with, that's not a lot of games. but. It was still way more games than he ever got at the big league level, you know, entering this season. Last year, he got 16 games. This year, 49 games. 2021, 38 plate appearances. 2024 plate appearances. Um, So, it was a bigger sample size, and he hit over 300. His OPS was 847. His OPS Plus was 34% above league average. And he shared the catching time with Gary Sanchez when Gary was obviously healthy. And when Gary got hurt, took over as the the main starting catcher. And I think this year he improved not just offensively. Maybe he didn't. I'm sure he improved offensively, but he got the consistent at-bats. And he probably got, he probably had more confidence this season than he had in any other season. Because in those other seasons, he just kept getting set down. They'd bring him up. Not really play him very much, at least consistently. Because they would have, I think, Austin Nola catch. And he never got a chance to, like, get comfortable and get consistent at-bats at the big league level. But he was kind of able to get that opportunity here in 23. And so I see Campy being a big part of this Padres catching future. And obviously hoping that he only continues to improve. We heard it as early as um, spring training, right? Austin Nola talking to, I think AC about how he has improved like communication wise and um, preparation wise, because that was kind of the knock, right? I think in 2022, or was it 21? Wasn't it Blake Snell or someone on the pitching staff was like critical of Luis Camposano and his um, preparation, I guess, or, His focus not being focused enough in games, but it seemed like that improved this year. So I don't know if it was because he thought, okay, this is my chance. This is going to be my only big chance here, or he just realized what he was doing. Um, I know Musgrove talked to him last year, and maybe that kind of lit a fire. Uh, Whatever it was, I mean, I was encouraged by what I saw from Campy this season. And uh, I mean, he did. Once he returned from the I.L., so since July 19th, before he got put on, put on the I.L. recently here in September, he hit 331. I mean, the bat definitely plays here at the big league level. I felt like sometimes his swing got a little bit long and maybe tried to do too much, but, you know, he, he'll get better at that with time. You know, he, he hasn't got a lot of big league time. When you compare it to other catchers in this league, he has not gotten a lot of big league catching time. Um, but he was pretty impressive this year. So it sucked the way that his season ended, obviously. Um with another um another trip to the IL, but it was definitely encouraging for sure. So hopefully Campy has a strong offseason. Um Tatis, by the way, Kevin Ac wrote about this as well. Tatis is going to be playing some Werner Ball for a few weeks in the offseason. And speaking of pretty encouraging seasons, I mean, I, I think Some would label this still disappointing for Fernando just because of the expectations we have for Fernando. And we saw Fernando last in 2021 where he was leading the national league in home runs and all that. Uh, But considering that he came back from three surgeries, had to learn a new position on the fly, which by the way, he should win the gold glove in in right field. Um, He was expected to be one of the best players in baseball. He had all this pressure on him, part of the big four coming back and I think a lot of people were saying just just tread water, stay afloat till Tatis comes back, and that's a lot of pressure to have on you. You know, he, he hadn't played baseball at the big league level in a long time. Um and he ends up finishing with a 20 better than 25 25 season. He was one of I think eight players in Major League Baseball this year to have a 25 25 season, and he was able to stay on the field. He got a couple days off, I believe. Starting right when he returned on April twentieth, he played pretty much every day. And Bob Melvin mentioned to the media this season that he didn't want Fernando to play that much, but that's just what that's that's just the situation that the Padres were in. Fernando just had to play that much. He was one of the Padres' best players. You have to play him every day. And so, you know, credit to Fernando for because I'm sure he was playing hurt and he was drained here at the end of this season. Uh, there was a lot of times where I'd watch Marty Caswell's YouTube videos from inside the clubhouse with interviews and all that, and you'd see Tatis have a big ice, a big thing of ice on his shoulder. Um, like I'm sure it was bugging him, but he kept playing, and he's gonna actually have a healthy offseason this coming off season. So yeah, I expect a big year out of Fernando. I expect a better year out of Tatis next year, and obviously hoping that he can stay healthy. It seems like those surgeries worked. Um, I know Bellinger, right? He was someone that got a surgery with the Dodgers. Not not really, definitely not the the 2023 Cody Bellinger, but then it, it took a couple years. And he comes here 2023 with the Cubs, and he ends up having a great platform year, and he's going to get paid in free agency, which he deserves based off of this season. I, I don't know how much he deserves, but... He'll get paid, and with Tatis, I'm hoping that, you know, there's the Acuna comparisons as well. I'm hoping that he'll be able to stay healthy in 2023 or 2024, excuse me. I'm probably going to keep saying that, uh, 2023 instead of 2024, but you know what I mean. 2024, hoping that he can stay healthy, have, you know, get back to kind of like that 2021 Tatis year. We'll see what happens positionally. Does he stay in right field? Does he move to center field? Trent Grisham's future, like those are all questions. Um, But, you know, with Tatis, yeah, a little disappointing, especially the way he finished this season wasn't very strong. Um, I think he mentioned to Kevin AC, like he just wasn't finding it with the swing here at the end. So more consistency is probably what Tatis is going to be aiming for here and working at in the offseason. But healthy offseason, a full season hopefully next year, and, you know, you're not going to have to deal with the suspension and all that. I thought he dealt with that stuff pretty well this year as well, and I'll talk about that more probably when I get to the Tatis player season review that I'm going to do um, here probably in October during the playoffs because the Padres obviously aren't going to be playing. But I thought he dealt with that stuff well. Um, he knew that that was going to be coming—the the taunts and the booing and all that—and you just have to take it right, like you did it to yourself and. So he took it, and there were good moments. I mean, obviously, I'm not just talking about the highlight plays. Um, we could talk about the highlight plays, like him robbing that home run recently, the big home run that he hit on the City Connect night to dead center. Uh, I think that was against the Cubs. I could be wrong. Or maybe it was, was it the Orioles or the Cubs. I forget who it was against, but big moment there. Um, he had some moments, but I was. Mainly for me this season, obviously, you want the postseason appearance. But when you look back on Tatis this season, I was happy that he was able to stay on the field. And I'm hoping that he can continue to grow on that going into next year and getting back to being like the real full Fernando. I don't think we really saw that this season. There were moments where we saw it the athleticism and speed and all that. Stealing home, obviously, was an amazing moment. Um, that one was against the Orioles. I do know that. But him getting back to like the real Tatis, that's what I'm looking forward to hopefully in 2024 and for the rest of his prime because he's here locked down. He's one of those that's going to be here long term. And we hope that that contract's going to work out really well. its I'm hoping that it turns into a, a team-friendly contract. It seems like that's what it is. Right when he signed it, he wanted the security and he got it. And he's not going to be getting paid that much in comparison to some other guys like Aaron judge getting $40 million a year, stuff like that. It'll be a, it should be a pretty good deal for the Padres, especially like guys are going to keep getting paid more and more money. That Tati salary is going to stay what it, what it's at, you know, that it's already agreed upon. Right. Let's say like restructure something like uh, someone did that recently. Was it Mahomes in the NFL I get some alerts sometimes on my phone where it's like, oh, this, this thing happened in the NFL. Okay, so I think that happened, but this is a long-term deal. This isn't like a four- or five-year deal. So it's the money. It's guaranteed. I was pretty encouraged by what I saw from Tatis this year. Um, I wanted to have super high expectations, but I think the smarter part of me was like, no, you, you probably gotta you got to relax. You got to have a little bit lower expectations, just be considering the circumstances, what he's coming back from, and all that. Um, All right. Should we get to the Nightingale report? He actually had a couple tidbits in here. I'm going to actually, you know what, quick break, and then I'm going to get to the chat here for a little bit, and then I'll get to the Nightingale stuff. And then I'll do another break, and then we'll finish it off with San Diego sports stuff and with the chat so quick break check out gaglion bros famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars road you can visit their website gaglionbros.com for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at petco park and snapdragon stadium as well uh sorry um if you're just joining by the way i'm not feeling that great so um uh, I have a bunch of tissues right next to me, not because I'm crying. That would have happened a long time ago with this Padres season. But yeah, just not feeling that great for some reason. My voice, as you probably can tell, not that great. It was worse in the morning for the pregame thoughts that I put out. So hopefully bear with me. Um, let's get to what I say I was going to do, the chat, right? Yeah, let's get to the chat here. There's a lot of comments. If you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, please, please, please use that super chat button and you will jump to the front of the line. Makes it very easy for me to see your comment, see your question, um, because there's a bunch of these. And so I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to everyone. Ivory says we should sign uh, Rich Hill to a five-year deal. Yeah, that guy, Bomo was like, dude, this might be your final outing. (laughs) Go, uh... I'm talking about final outing of his career. Go just throw your arm out. That's what it felt like. They were going to ride Rich Hill the rest of the night. Nancy says, I hope we keep Profar. Yeah, I mean, for a cheap salary, I would be fine with the Padres keeping Jerks and Profar. Um, as a, a bench player, because that's something that the Padres missed this year. I mean, you had Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter taking up roster spots. And those guys, I know the Nelson Cruz deal. Like that was one million dollars. That's nothing for Major League Baseball owners. But he doesn't play the field. And Matt Carpenter, I mean, he was limited. It's not like they were gonna, they were able to put him in the outfield whenever someone was down. You know, with Profar, you can DH him, you can put him in the outfield, you can put him in the infield. Yeah, I would like to have Jerickson back next year, but we'll see if another team is willing to have him go be a starter somewhere. I doubt it, unless it's a team like the Kansas City Royals or something like that, the Oakland A's, and then they try to trade him at the deadline or something. But Profar, I mean, he likes it in San Diego. It seemed like he was comfortable. I know right when the Padres brought him back, he was, like, turning into, like, Ted Williams at the plate. So, um, yeah, I would like to see Profar back. But I don't know how much... Is this, like, a Will Myers thing where... Will, he got kind of that starting opportunity with the Reds, right? He ended up not finishing with the Reds, but the Padres weren't going to go as far as the Reds did in terms of the money. Is that what we're going to see with the Jerks and Profar situation? We'll see. Uh, Lefty Missile says Rich Hill goes out, throws two innings, but Hater can't do it. It's the end of the season. You have six months to recover. Get out there and effing pitch. Yeah, well, Josh... I'm not gonna bash Josh Hader for not doing it now because like the Padres are officially eliminated and he's literally one he's literally hours away from being out of the Padres. Um, but what pissed me off was earlier in the season. And some some people went with that argument. When they saw I was mad about Josh Hader's quotes that he had here in September in San Francisco. What is it? What are we in the playoff race? Like why he's not going four outs and all that. People were like, well, he's so close to free agency. I wouldn't either. And that's not why I was pissed off. I was pissed off because he's had this mentality the entire season. And it took a a lot for the Padres to even have him go four outs in the freaking postseason last year when it matters the most. And this year, he doesn't go four outs. And there were a couple times. I mean, I could count them on one hand. I don't even need my thumb to count how many times. He pitched back-to-back-to-back games. And so for him to say, what are we in the playoff race, which they were technically still not mathematically eliminated, so that's just something that you don't say. Um, And then you blame the media. You guys want me to do everything. No, the media, fans, we don't want you to do everything. We just want you to do something that your other teammates are doing. You know, being a team player. And it just felt like he wasn't a good enough team player this season. And I get it. The Milwaukee Brewers screwed him with arbitration and all that, but dude, you've already met. Ma- you're already making your money. Like you already agreed with arbitration and all that with the Padres going into this season. You're a free agent at the end of the year. It's not like you have another arbitration that the Padres are going to try to, you know, not give you the money that you want. And by the way, if there was another arbitration year for Josh, The Padres, A.J. Preller doesn't go to arbitration with players, so he would have probably gotten what he wanted. (laughs) So, yeah, like, this wasn't the organization to be so strict about what you were going to do. And then on Instagram, he's replying to a fan who said, like, can't go four outs, though. And he's, what did he say on Instagram? Like, something about the phone works both ways. And it's like, I didn't know I'm supposed to, he said, I I don't know I'm supposed to make myself available or, or Tell the coaching staff to put me in, or whatever he said. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it is. If it's two ways, then make it known to Bob Melvin, make it known to Ruben Diebla and Ben Fritz sitting there in the bullpen, make it known to them that you're willing to go four outs in a big situation if needed. And I don't think he did that. I don't think he was going up to Bob Melvin and be like, hey, you know that situation the other day where there was a four out situation and it was left on left to end the eighth inning? I want it. I want that situation next time. Give me the ball. That's not what I got from Josh Hader. Watching him this year, I didn't get that. He wanted his three outs and get out of there. He wanted to do the absolute minimum. And that's not a guy I want on my team. I get it. He was close to free agency and all that. But when your team is circling the drain and you tell the media and you have Bob Melvin telling the media earlier on in the season, you have them telling people. Yeah, he's just saving it for when the games matter the most. But then you continue to only go three outs, and you're limiting yourself, essentially, when you said you weren't going to. Like, you were taking it slow at the beginning of the year so that you could go full out later in the year, and you don't do that. Yeah, it pisses me off, and I think it pissed off a lot of other Padres fans. Uh, Coffee Milk says, Buck is gone. Melvin next. Very well could be. And Buck, Buck, I don't know if anyone saw the situation with the Mets here, but what happened was Buck, he went and talked to the media today, I think before the Mets game, saying like the Mets are choosing to go in a different direction. It was pretty much we're going to fire you or you're going to voluntarily step away, right? And so Buck, I guess, involuntarily stepped away. But it wasn't like the Mets fired him. He just did he delivered the news on his own at the press conference. So maybe that's what the Padres end up doing um with Bob Melvin. If they can't make it work, and I'll get to that Bob Nightingale report here in a little bit. If they can't make it work, then maybe Bob Melvin has a press conference and is like, you know, ownership, Padres management, they're choosing to go in a different direction. Um and that's that's their right. I thank the Padres for their time and 2022 was great. Maybe that's what happens. Um, We'll see. I mean, tomorrow, Monday, I don't know if we're going to get the news tomorrow. I'm sure someone will leak it out because this organization always leaks things. Um, There's some organizations where like with the Braves, there's sometimes where you don't hear news till the Braves like put out a news release about it. You know, with the Padres, I mean, everything leaks what it feels like. So probably sometime tomorrow, We'll hear something, and I'll I'll do a show on it for sure. So be ready for that here on YouTube and on podcast platforms. I'll put that up tomorrow when we're done with that. If no news comes out, I'll probably still do a show, and then wait for it to come out on Tuesday. But yeah, I, I could see Melvin. I could see that happening with what happened with Buck Showalter. I could see that happening with Bob Melvin. Maybe not for the same reasons, because I, I I see AJ probably staying, and then Bob Melvin just Going, um, and the, the two sides mutually parted ways. Where with the Mets, David Stearns is coming in; it's a new person. I know Billy Upler's still there, but it's a new person, and he wants his guy. So we'll see who Council ends up going with. We'll see if it's Greg Council. You know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, and I don't think the Padres, by the way, I don't think they would go in the Buck Showalter direction. I mean, maybe, maybe they would, because obviously Manny has input. He's he he tells the media I stopped GMing a long time ago, but come on, you're telling me he's gonna have no input on the Padres' next manager. If Bob Melvin ends up departing, of course he's going to. Whether that's Ryan Flaherty being promoted or Mike Schilt being promoted, Preller's going to talk to Manny or Seidler's going to talk to Manny before that decision is probably made. Or if they make the decision before it gets public, they'll talk to Manny about it. Like that's just what happens, and we know that Manny loves Buck. Buck managed Manny with the Baltimore Orioles for years. So maybe that happens. Um, I don't know if that would go over so well with the Padres fan base because of what happened in the wild card series last year. You know, after that, I was not the biggest fan of Buck for sure. I don't know if Joe Musgrove would like having Buck Showalter be managing the team. But I mean, it could be, it could end up being Mike Schilt. It could be end up, It could end up being Ryan Flaherty, you know? And those guys maybe are more in sync with AJ Preller, and that's all that matters to AJ. So he's fine with promoting someone within, and he just couldn't deal with Bob Melvin. Or Bob Melvin just can't deal with AJ, you know? It feels like Ruben, I know there was some talk about Ruben, maybe him going with Bob or him going away from the organization if Bob steps away, but it seems like he's so invested in the pitching staff had success this year and they're building, aren't they building a pitching lab at, at Point Loma Nazarene or something? Or maybe some Padres players have already used that. And Ruben Nieblo like was a big part in that. So it seems like he's invested here. His daughter goes to San Diego state, I believe. I think he's going to stay regardless of who the next manager is. It feels like it's going to be, well, Ruben Diebla is your pitching coach, okay? Whoever comes in, or if it's a promotion, it feels like Ruben Diebla is the pitching coach. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Devin asked Did the rain from yesterday get you sick? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Continuing to go through the chat here. If you're waiting for the Bob Nightingale stuff, I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. Just want to go through the chat here a little bit. I know I'm like 45 minutes behind on the chat, but you know that I like to get stuff off my chest, and then go to the chat. But I always go to the chat. I'm not, I'm not going to do a show if it's live where I just don't go to the chat because I value the Padres community and having you guys have a voice. If you want to join the show, you can click that link that's pinned up at the top of the chat. I believe it's pinned up at the top of the chat. Um Charlie says Hater refusing to come in games and plus he has 3 losses this year for the Padres. Hater played a huge role in the downfall of the 2023 Padres. Huge? He played a role. Huge? I don't know. Now they only finished 2 games back in the wild card. So yeah, you could say that that's huge because it was a, it was a diff- it was a pretty big difference there. You know, 2 games, it's not a lot. So there were a lot of games where yeah, you don't have the lead, but your best reliever is Josh Hader. And maybe he didn't want to be in the game in that spot. He told the coaching staff, yeah, ninth inning, three outs, not four outs. And Suarez gives up the lead or something. Remember the Dodger game? I forget what the exact situation was, but it was at home and Suarez couldn't throw strikes. And I think maybe maybe Hader threw before Suarez that day. I forget. Or Hader was unavailable. I forget the situation. But that was like, okay, you know, Josh Hader here would be nice. Suarez can't find the strike zone. And then Cosgrove came in. He walked a guy with the bases loaded. It was bad. And, uh, you know, there were some times, I think the Cincinnati series, Josh Hader, Josh Hader, Josh Hader. And instead, you know, Nick Martinez comes to the game. Is that because Josh Hader was unwilling to, you know, pregame, you know, made that known or what? I don't know, but yeah. He played a role for sure. Huge role. I put, I say huge, I reserve that for the guys that are playing every day that are in the lineup. Because it's a limited role as a reliever. It's it's still a significant role, but it's not as significant, obviously, as guys that are playing every day. Yeah, Montosa says, imagine just one extra win per month. Um continuing to go through the chat here, yes, sad news today very sad. Don Ursillo obviously worked with Tim Wakefield. Um, I don't know if Padre fans know that, but Don obviously was big TV guy with the the Red Sox for years and worked with Tim Wakefield and had a great relationship with him. so yeah, rest in peace to him It's that sucks. I think it was brain cancer yeah, from everything that I'm reading, it just seemed like he was a Amazing human being. Um, so yeah. Red Sox nation is definitely gonna definitely gonna miss him for sure. The baseball world, baseball world, just period, is gonna miss him for sure. Yeah. Sam agrees with the earlier point, need profar next year. Hope Springs Eternal. Potters were the best team in baseball in September. Is that true? I know they had a good record in September, but again, that, that also proves like how bad this team was. So they had the best record in baseball in September down the stretch and they missed the postseason. The Marlins and the D backs got in over them, you know, like that just shows how bad they were in the other months. I mean, what was the Padres record in August, August of this year? I'm going to look that up right now here. So hold on one second. Schedule results, I'm going on baseball reference. August, they were 10 and 18. They had three winning months the entire season, so half of the months. April, they went 15 and 12. May, they went 10 and 16. June, they went 12 and 15. July, 15 and 10. August, 10 and 18. And then September, 19 and 7. So their best month, they saved for September. I mean, May, 10 and 16? 10 and 18 in August. I mean, that's really what blew it. I mean, holy cow, the extra inning games, obviously the one run games. Yeah, it was. It was a season to forget, but it's not a season we're gonna forget, because this was a huge wasted opportunity. Like Snell and, like I said earlier, you know, Snell and Soto saying, "Who knows if we're gonna have a team as talented as this one? If they're gonna be on a team as talented as this year's team? We don't know." So huge waste of opportunity. Manny, Bogarts, they're not getting any younger. Garvish, same thing. Musgrove, Cronenworth. Yeah. I mean, you you sign those guys to the long term contracts to lock them up so that they don't go to another team, but you're you're signing those guys and paying you'll pay for the back end if they produce at the front end and you go win that World Series. And that was this was supposed to be one of those years where you had a really good shot at doing that and to not even make the postseason, just an absolute failure. No doubt about that. All right. I want to get to the Bob Nightingale, the couple tidbits from Bob Nightingale. So I'm going to start with the Melvin and the Preller one. This is Bob Nightingale in his USA Today Nightingale Sunday notebook that he has, where he usually puts all like the important stuff, like 3,000 words in, like buries it at the bottom. He has, like, two feature stories that he writes in there, and then at the bottom, he puts all the Padres' bad stuff that has happened this season. Essentially, that's what I've noticed. And he said, Melvin and Preller have told friends and associates that it's simply impossible for the two to coexist, and their meeting on Monday with Padres' ownership will not change their minds. Okay, so do I 100% believe that Bob Melvin is telling friends that it's simply impossible for the two to coexist. I don't know if I 100% believe that. Like, who who do you think is actually, like, if only one is actually telling friends and associates, who would it be, AJ or Bob Melvin? I think it would be AJ. You know, the guy that's always on his phone, the guy that is communicating all the time. Uh, I feel like it would be AJ doing that. Because Bob Melvin, at least to the media, now he could be totally different behind closed doors with Matt Williams sitting in the coach's office or Mike Schilt, you know, whatever. But it feels like to me, he has been like really professional and he wouldn't go say that because he knows it will probably get leaked somewhere that he said this. And maybe he wants to leave open the possibility of him still returning, you know? And maybe he's holding out hope that They can find a resolution and he can stay because he knows that they're going to have a talented team in 2024 regardless of what happens in the offseason, in my opinion. Um, But it's not... When you look at just the fact, you know, Nightingale writing here, simply impossible for the two to coexist. The meeting Monday will not change their minds. I don't think that's surprising because we know AJ runs things one certain way. We know Bob Melvin, he has his ways. And there's been reporting this season about Bob Melvin maybe not being as uh, receptive to some of the suggestions from the front office, balking at some of the front office's suggestions. He has his way of doing things. He just wants to go manage, like let him do his job. And AJ has, uh, you know, disagreed with some things roster construction wise. Melvin has disagreed with what AJ has done sometimes, you know, with, Lack of flexibility. Seems like Mel wasn't really the one that wanted to keep Matt Carpenter on the roster, but he's not the one that's the GM and maybe wants to try to trade Matt Carpenter's contract for, you know, in the offseason, his 24, the money that he's owed in 2024, and try to attach that maybe somewhere. Um, and, and Melvin's just trying to save the season. So there's, we know that there are disagreements and civil war, right? That was described in a Kevin AC article. Uh, The Ken Rosenthal-Dennis Lynn piece, unfixable, the relationship, right? Um, The relationship has gotten worse, is what we have read. And then there's this, like Monday's meeting's not going to change their minds. What would happen Monday? What would happen in this meeting that would change Melvin and or Preller's mind? Would it be Bob Melvin coming in and he hears A.J. Preller say that he's going to back off? Would it be A.J. Preller voluntarily saying, I'm not going to be the GM. I'm going to go hire a GM, and you can talk with him because I want to make this work, and I know that our relationship is not that great, and I don't know if, to be honest, Bob, I don't know if I can change a whole lot, but I am willing to take the GM title off and make this compromise and give, bring in someone that you're comfortable with, not someone that I'm comfortable with, But someone, more importantly, that you're comfortable with, that you can come talk to. Because clearly the communication is not that great from what we're reading. Bob Melvin, A.J. Preller, they can say all they want want to the media that the, the relationship's fine. And A.J. Preller saying that they talk five times a day. Okay, that's a lie. Five times a day? You mean texting? Like A.J. texting a suggestion to A.J. Preller? I mean, I don't think they're talking five times a day. Come on. So they can paint this like it's a fine relationship, but, I mean, this isn't just one report that's coming out about how bad the relationship is. This is all of these writers saying how bad it is. And you got former, you got, uh, not former, but you got, I think, a current player in there, like unfixable, civil war. Things that are described as civil war probably doesn't end well. So, no, I'm not surprised that if this is true, Melvin and Preller are telling people around them that they don't think Monday's meeting is going to change their minds because probably the damage has already been done, kind of like this Padres season, right? They go on that winning streak, and maybe Monday is like the winning streak, if this makes sense, the comparison that I'm trying to make here, where you know they, there's a good conversation, but at the end of the day, I mean, they dug so deep of a hole here in this relationship that they're not going to be able to get out of it. The hole's too deep, and some things—maybe some things—have happened that we don't know about that you just can't take back. Um, I'm gonna reiterate this. Like my, what I want to have happen is Preller and Melvin to stay. I know I've said in the past, like I think it's probably best for AJ to move on, but I think with Peter Seiler's health, with the fact that even if someone new comes in, I I would be fine with Preller not being here. I'm not saying like, oh, if Preller goes, I'm going to be so pissed off. But I'm just hoping that they can sort of come together here so we can just worry about improving the roster instead of having this big question looming over the team. Because there's already a bunch of questions about the roster. Why create more questions? And it might just be best because of Peter Siler's health and. Um, all that, like, just for these guys, for the consistency to continue, even though, like, there's a bunch, I know there's a bunch of reports about the bad relationship and all that, right? But AJ has done some positive things for this team, and he has been able to make some moves in the past with not a whole lot of money in these moves that have ended up working out. Now, there's been big contracts where it's like, ooh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But if he's going to have a limited amount of money to spend here in the offseason, if if Seidler is telling him, we're cutting payroll, it's not your decision. We're cutting payroll. This is the money that you have to work with here. You got to make it work. That could be a good thing because Preller has made some good additions on cheaper deals, on short-term deals. Uh, Some guys are vets. Some guys are, you know, like Robert Suarez, who came over from, uh, it wasn't Major League Baseball. I forget what league he came over from. Was it Japan? I forget what league he came over from. But that was a success story. You know, um, Nabil chrismat for a time, that was obviously cheap. He was impactful for this team. You know, and the Lugo deal. Question marks, but look what happened. Michael Waka, pretty good this year. You know, Nick Martinez. It's like he's been able to, you know, you're, you're spending a bunch of money not a whole lot of money to spend in other places. If you don't have a lot of money to spend in the offseason, all you have is the little money to spend in other places. Maybe that's a benefit to A.J. Preller, you know, because he has, like, that cap, that limit on him instead of having the green light to go get a big-time free agent, you know? Um, and with Bob Melvin, obviously, I want Bob Melvin to stay. Like, this guy, I you cannot convince me that Ryan Flaherty is going to be the better guy for this. You could say Ryan is going to be on the same page with A.J. Preller, but look how that worked out with Andy Green and Jace Tingler, right? Like, not well. And there's all these, I see these comments from some people, and they're like, Ryan Flaherty or Mike Schilt, like, they'll be liked by the players. It's like, have you not read quotes? The players like Bob Melvin. They respect Bob Melvin. They know how good of a manager Bob Melvin is. They don't want Bob Melvin to lose his job. They're fine. It's Bob Melvin and AJ Preller that's not fine. The players and Bob Melvin doesn't seem like there's a problem there. There's no story that has been put out about Bob Melvin and the problem with the players. It's about Bob Melvin and AJ Preller. It's about AJ Preller, or it's about Manny Machado. um, Teammates not feeling like they can hold him accountable and all that, you know? So, yeah, and... The, the Giants and now Mets, I guess, those possibilities scare me. This cannot happen again. Where Bruce Bochi, right? This is another like Bruce Bochi thing. Bob Melvin, good manager. Bruce Bochi, good manager, had success with the Padres. Multiple division titles when he was with the Padres, took him to a World Series, which is farther than what Bob Melvin did. And Sandy Alderson comes in and is looking for a younger manager. Even though it was working with Bruce Bochi allows Bruce Bochy to go interview for the San Francisco Giants job. He gets it and he wins three world series titles with them. And I think he won a couple division titles as the manager of the Giants. And I don't want that happening again with Bob Melvin here successful in 2022. Everyone around baseball knows that this guy is a good manager, respected manager and AJ Preller or just Padres management in general They could want to go in a younger direction, a different direction. Might not have to be younger, but different direction. Probably younger, based on Melvin and how much experience he has. Younger direction. And you're just going to allow Bob Melvin to go take the Giants job? Because Farhan Zaidi, like I said the other day, Farhan would take Bob Melvin in a freaking heartbeat. They have a prior relationship. Bob Melvin didn't even know A.J. Preller. Before he talked to him for the first time for this job, didn't know who he was. He knows who Farhan Zaidi is. He's from the Bay Area. He played for the Giants. Went to Cal. Went to high school near San Francisco. Like the connections are there. You can connect the dots there. Bob Melvin wants to work with Farhan Zaidi more than uh, more than uh, AJ Preller. I can guarantee you that. So yeah, I could definitely see it as a scenario as tomorrow. The meeting doesn't go great. Bob Melvin ends up, you know, maybe the Padres work out a trade with the Giants. I don't know. He goes and signs with the Giants. He is their manager. And on opening day at the home opener, he's in the other dugout instead of the Padres dugout. And The Padres got like Ryan Flaherty sitting there. And Bob Melvin's going to be laughing. Like, good luck with that. You think you're going to bring in a rookie manager in here and he's going to have more success than I did? Know what he's doing more than I did? Have more respect in that Padres clubhouse than I did? Good luck with that. And I don't want that to happen. Because if Bob Melvin goes to the Giants, right, that's only going to improve their shot of winning. That's not going to make their chances of winning go down. It's going to improve their chances. And free agents, Giants, by the way, have a lot of money to spend. Potters have already spent that money. Giants have a lot of money to spend. They couldn't get Arson Judge. Carlos Correa, they backed off after the physical, right? They've got money there. Don't know if it's Otani or Soto in a couple of years or Snell, whatever. But they've got money, and free agents will be appealed, probably. Because they saw the Giants were hanging in there with Gabe Kapler and no superstars on that team. They were hanging in there. And they could sit there and be like, well, they made the playoffs in 2021. That wasn't that long time ago. They were hanging in there for a lot of this season with Gabe Kapler and no superstars. And now they have Bob Melvin? who knows what he's doing, and I can come in here and be a superstar. I think some people would be, some uh, free agents would be pretty happy going to the San Francisco Giants. Would they rather be managed by Ryan Flaherty, or would they rather be managed by Bob Melvin? I think we all know the answer to that question. Now, the Padres could sit there and say, well, we're a better franchise. We have a better shot to win in 2024 than the Giants do, and I would probably agree with that. But if Bob Elwood goes to the Giants, maybe he is re-energized, and he's not going to get drained out by A.J. Preller through 2024 and be like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Maybe he'll sign a three-year deal. I think Bob Nightingale mentioned like maybe three years, $12 million, so $4 million a year. He's owed $4 million by the Padres in 24, so that would work out. And the Giants could get even more years out of him than the Padres would get out of Bob Melvin. So it's a possibility. Simply impossible for Preller and Melvin to coexist with the Padres. I hope that's not Bob Melvin. I hope that's it's because of, it's A.J. Preller that is making this simply impossible. And I feel like that's what it is. And it's a shame. It is a shame. You can't make it work with Bob Melvin? Then why do you deserve to get another shot to hire another manager? And that's just taking away that you had a failure of a season. Yeah, so really disappointing for sure. Really disappointing. All right, next topic that I wanted to hit on, also from Bob Nightingale, was about the Padres internally leaning to towards trading Juan Soto. Internally leading towards trading Juan Soto while trying to slash payroll by 50 million. And this is what, this is what Kevin Acey has said. I think there's been some other people that have said this as well about the Padres and they want to trim the payroll. And it makes sense. Losing season. Um, you need to get under the, the, the luxury tax threshold. I don't, to be honest, I'm not going to act like I know about the MLB debt relief thing that gets talked about. I'll probably do some research on that in the off season. I'm not going to act like I know about that though. Why the Padres are in trouble and all that, but I know they need to be under the 237 luxury tax number for next year because they're over it this year and they're going to be paying other teams, I believe. Like they're part of the revenue what is it called? The revenue sharing thing. So, yes, they're they, they need to trim payroll, I get that, but $50 million that's a lot. Now, it's easier if they trade Juan Soto and that's why these, this Juan Soto stuff is obviously going to be coming up here because, Oh, it's $30 million. The Padres, they're looking to trim payroll. That's $30 million right there. And they could go sign someone cheaper, get someone back that they could stick in there in the outfield. And there's a lot of money there that you just saved with the other guys that are coming off the books, like Drew Pomerantz, $10 million, uh, maybe Waka, maybe Martinez, maybe Lugo, guys like that. Um, Gary Sanchez, the deadline additions, right? Yeah, I mean, you trade Soto, you're gonna get under that. You're gonna reach your goal. But this Padres team, they need to try to win next season. And Jeff passing the other day, right? He he brought up the point. Does is this Padres team a World Series team uh, with Juan Soto? I don't think so. That's what Jeff said. But I mean, you had MLB.com experts and all that thinking that the Padres were going to win the World Series this year before the season started with Juan Soto on the team. And Juan Soto was a big reason why you had people thinking that. You can't convince me that this Padres team has a better shot at winning, definitely a better shot at uh, being more productive offensively with Juan Soto off the team and player X in left field over Juan Soto or a DH over Juan Soto. Like This was a down year, probably a little bit for Juan Soto. And he's still a top 10 offensive player. He might get top 10 MVP votes still. And it was a down year. A little bit of a disappointing season. He got off to a terrible start. Didn't have a good month of August. So I want to give that guy a shot. I want to give this team a shot with the the big four, Tatis, Soto, Manny, Bogarts. I want those guys in the lineup. I want Kronilworth back healthy. I want Kim in there. I want to give it a shot in 2024. If it doesn't work out by the trade deadline, it doesn't work out. And you might not get a whole lot back for Juan Soto, but someone would go get Juan Soto off your hands for sure. Even if he's having a down year, they would get him off your hands. Because it's Juan Soto. So the Padres internally leaning towards trading Soto, that's disappointing. If that's correct. Again, consider the source. It's Bob Nightingale. With all due respect to Bob, he has gotten some things wrong, and I definitely understand that. But he is a national reporter, and he has gotten some things right in the past as well. And if they're internally leading towards trading Soto, I mean, then how can you sell that to the fan base, right? Let's say Melvin goes. Let's say you trade Soto and season ticket prices increase. How are you going to sell that to the fan base? Like, that's the, that's the good thing. It's good that Soto got traded. It's good that your season ticket prices went up. Like, how are you going to sell that? Bob Melvin's not here. He's managing in the other dugout. You're going to sell that to Padres fans? How can you? You can't. Especially if, like, AJ remains and he hires a a rookie manager and Bob Melvin goes goes to the Giants, Juan Soto gets traded. How are you going to sell, yeah, World Series is the expectation. I mean... That would be a pretty hard sell, I think. So I don't think they should be leaning towards trading Soto. If they're leaning towards trading Soto, that's because they have to get under two hundred million dollars, probably. Like that's like the the mandate from Peter Seiler or something. Like they or Major League Baseball. I don't know. Like I'm not. I'm not gonna act like I'm this genius in the the financial stuff with payroll and all that. But this is. To only get, and I said this on social media today when I tweeted that part out from Nightingale, only getting one year of Juan Soto, one postseason run, I should say, not one year, but only getting one postseason run from Juan Soto, and that wasn't even in the full season that you had him, that would be so disappointing. You traded James Wood, Robert Hassel III, Roland Susanna, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, Luke Voigt, but I'm not, I'm talking about like top prospects, really young, really talented players. I might be forgetting one other guy. You traded so much talent for Juan Soto for three pennant races, and you can't get it this year. So try next year. One pennant race with Juan Soto, and that was with Tatis not on the team, that was with Bogarts not on the team. That would be so disappointing. Talk about losing a trade. If they don't get a World Series with Juan Soto, they have lost the trade, right? As of now, they have lost the trade. To not even see it through, not even give it a chance, I would be so disappointed in that. And again, it's like, it would just be another bad look on the franchise. Some would think that it's a good look because they're looking towards the future and they're like, no, you could get a good, it's a better return than you'll get back at the deadline. But what if the Potters are winning, really? They're winning a lot of games at the deadline, and they're going to be in the postseason. Like, you can tell at the deadline. And you have Juan Soto on your team. Then you can have him for that postseason run. It goes back to, like, regrets. I don't want Peter Seidler to have a regret. Man, I allowed A.J. to trade all of this for Juan Soto, and now I'm stuck sitting here laying in bed You know, before I go to sleep each night, thinking to myself, what if we had Juan Soto? What What if? if? What if we gave it that shot in that third season? What if? What if? What if? I don't want him to regret that. If he tells AJ, like, no, Juan Soto can't be traded, or he puts his foot down to whoever is running it, Juan Soto's not getting traded. You're keeping him. I will pay him the $30 million. At least at the end of next season, he can sit there and be like, well, at least we tried. We gave it our full effort with Juan Soto. But if you don't have Juan Soto in 2024, to start 2024, you didn't give your full effort with Juan Soto. You didn't because you had a season left on that contract. And this year was considered probably a little bit of a down year for Soto. And next year, in 2024, he's going to be in a walk year. You think he's not going to be motivated to have a ridiculous season? Or be motivated to win because of how embarrassing this season was. Of course, of course, he's going to want to be the MVP of the National League if he's on the Padres, or MVP of what wherever he goes. You know, so that's a guy I want on my team, and that's 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 a guy that other teams are not going to want to face. So again, I it goes to the regrets. I don't want regrets. I want them to try to see this through see what can happen because this year sucked but that doesn't mean that next year is going to suck all right let's get to a break here actually I'm going to get to some San Diego sports stuff first then I'll go to a break and then I'll go back to the chat thank you for those that left comments left questions there in the chat I'm going to continue to go through those here I'll get that I'll get to that at the end of this show here. Wrapping up the 2023 season, Padres and the White Sox finished up their series here. Padres, they finish their season 82 and 80. They will not be going to the postseason. But one team that will is San Diego Loyal. Monterey Bay was the opponent at Torero Stadium. And San Diego Loyal was able to get a win. Damas, he was able to get a hat trick. He had a really nice goal, um, his third goal, to get the hat trick from long distance, stoppage time. Loyal had already gotten the win in the bag, but, I mean, clinching the playoff spot, a hat trick, and then there was another one that scored as well. That's pretty much as good as you could have planned that Loyal win, right? And those two teams, Loyal and Monterey Bay, familiar with one each other. Um, And San Diego Loyal, if you go back and look at their schedule, the previous matchups, they they had that comeback win against Monterey Bay on the road. That was September 20th, so that was really recently. Then they get a point from Las Vegas, and then they get the 4-1 win win here. And right now, sitting in the West, they're third in the West. And if they're a top-four seed come the end of the regular season, they will host a playoff match which will be, I think, absolutely amazing because it's the last year, obviously, of San Diego Loyal. And I just want San Diego Loyal fans that are out there every match to be able to experience that playoff atmosphere one more time with the club that they have loved for these few years that it's been in existence, you know. Um, It sucks that San Diego Loyal is no longer going to be a club, but I'm hoping that this year can end really cool for San Diego Loyal. And it could be a really cool ending because those those people that have put so much time into that club deserve to have a good ending. The players deserve it. The fans deserve it. Landon Donovan deserves it. Andrew vasiliadis deserves it. Ricardo Campos deserves it. Uh, a lot of people deserve that. Um, so right now, Loyal, they're in the three spot. In the West, Sacramento's first. San Antonio's second. San Diego's third. At 50 points, they're five points behind San Antonio, but two points up on Phoenix, who's in fourth. Orange County, then Colorado Springs, and then El Paso's in the seventh spot. Oakland's in the eighth. Top eight make the postseason. Um, El Paso is the next matchup for San Diego Loyal. Um, San Diego Loyal, that next matchup is on Wednesday. That's in El Paso. Their next home match, their last home match of the regular season, is October 7th. Against Oakland, so you can get your tickets there on San Diego Loyal's website. But a fun win, a good win for San Diego Loyal, four to one. Uh, they got down, by the way, in this match, but came back. So good for them. Uh, by the way, before getting to Wave and San Diego State, um, San Diego FC or SDFC—that's not their official name yet. That's going to be October twentieth, I believe, at Snapdragon Stadium. But it was announced from San Diego MLS where the training facility is going to be, where right to dream is going to be. And so there's a lot of information that was released here. Um, and this is, I'm looking this up on two ball, two balls and a mic on their social media. They do a great job. They actually spoke to Tom Penn. So I recommend you go check out their conversation. Uh, but yeah, here is, here's the details uh, announces. San Diego MLS, San Diego FC, state-of-the-art training facility, Right to Dream Academy. It's going to be located in El Cajon on the Saquon tribal land. I believe it's the first club that is going to be doing that sort of thing. 125,000-square-foot campus, five soccer fields. I think two are going to be turf, and then the other three are going to be grass. Uh, There's going to be a groundbreaking ceremony scheduled later in the year in November. And so there's pictures online on a bunch of the details and what they think it's going to look like and the, the um, just what it looks like now and just what the plan is for this training facility and what they're going to do with right to dream. Um, I think that this right to dream Academy, it's pretty cool what they're doing because they're not, and I was listening to the interview that Tom Penn gave to Two Balls and a Mic this past week, and it's not like they're going to give up on kids that go into this program. I believe it's going to start at age 12. They're not going to give up on those kids if they end up not developing soccer-wise the way that they thought they were going to. Um, there are some that have ended up taking on um, professional or They've gone on to college scholarships, not having to do with soccer necessarily in these other Right to Dream Academies. So that's going to be a cool thing, uh, I think, that this San Diego MLS group is doing. Um, and they said right now, uh, the project so spans 28-acre site that currently encompasses a portion of the Pine Glen Golf Course and the Singing Hills Hotel. Um, and it gets more into... The residential youth academy. So some students, the existing uh, Singing Hills Hotel will be thoughtfully repurposed and accommodate youth academy dorms and classroom facilities that will provide education for students living on campus. So really, like fostering an environment, and they say here unity, growth, opportunity. So really caring about uh, these kids and you know bringing them up, and then hopefully you know if they turn out well. Being that homegrown talent to represent uh, San Diego FC, San Diego MLS on the first team at the the high talent level, because we, you know, with the Padres obviously and S- San Diego Wave, we love the hometown. Same thing with loyal, we love the hometown kid, right? The hometown player, we can really get behind that. And it seems like the goal here from the San Diego MLS group is to have that, like, have a lot of San Diego. Uh, San Diego-based, homegrown talent that the San Diego fans, the supporters, can really get behind. So if you want more information on this, you can go to saniegofc.com, I believe, and there'll be more information. But yeah, five soccer fields, uh, five full-size soccer fields, three natural turf fields, two synthetic turf fields. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty big, a pretty cool uh, facility. There. Tom Penn here says in this release, we couldn't ask for a more perfect location for our training facility and right to dream Academy. This land is absolutely beautiful, rich with tradition and heritage, which will give us the foundation to achieve our vision to become the epicenter of football excellence and innovation in North America. We are grateful for the unwavering support of our club ownership, Mr. Mohammed Mansour and Saquon, obviously Saquon, Cody Martinez, the tribal chairman. He is heading, you know, that part. Um, of it, and uh, so obviously wishing them well here and obviously rooting for the Loyal for San Diego Loyal as they end up going into the playoffs speaking of another playoff team, San Diego Wave the watch party yesterday at Fair Play was absolutely amazing the environment, the atmosphere was great, so I I was obviously there, Um, shout out to the San Diego Wave supporters that were there there were some people that were there couple hours early for this thing, making sure they got their seat. Um, And San Diego Wave, they end up walking away with a win. And this was a huge match because this match decided the first place um, holder in the NWSL table. Portland was in first entering the night. San Diego was a couple points behind, but they pick up three points. Obviously, Portland, no points. So San Diego Wave now is on top. And if this holds, which there's still work to be done. There's still a couple more games left. They got on the road, and they come back home uh, to face Racing Louisville. Um, their next matchup is at North Carolina. So still got, you know, things to happen here. There's still work to be done. They can't get comfortable. But if things stay like this, and this match ended up being the difference maker, let's say both teams wave Portland, they had the same results, and first and second, right? Wave Wave and Portland, they would get a first-round bye, and then they would host the semifinal match. Wave would host a semifinal match. Portland would host a semifinal match. The, obviously, top six teams in the league, they get in. And the top two get the bye. Three and four host quarterfinal match against five and six. So that's how it works. And it was a crucial, crucial three points, obviously, that the Wave picked up last night. And it was cool to shut up the Portland crowd because this really does feel like the real rivalry. I know you could say San Diego and angel city. That's a rivalry. It is location wise and all that. But in terms of like the best teams in the league, San Diego, Portland, that's more of it to me, at least currently right now. Um And Portland fans will be like, Oh, we didn't have Sophia Smith. And yes, Sophia Smith. Yes. She, she might go win the MVP this year and, She is, right now, she leads the league in goals. I think she leads the league in assists, at least the last time that I checked. It's a huge loss, no doubt about that. But San Diego Wave still played a tremendous match. I mean, first half was really good. Um, Obviously had a 2-0 lead early. Carusa, the San Diego kid, 20th minute. Um, Good pass from Jaden Shaw. Shocker. I could watch her pass all day. Uh, Alex Morgan finally got back. I was, I was talking about this with someone at the watch party last night about how long it had been since Alex Morgan had put one in the back of the net. Um, and, like, minutes later, she ends up getting this. Christian Westfall, just great pass in. And Morgan with the header. Initially, right when it came off her, I was you didn't know if it was going to go in. Um, but when it went in, obviously, fair play erupted. And I'm sure a lot of homes in San Diego did that were tuning into that match. Um, so it was good to see Morgan get back on the board. She leads San Diego Wave in goals this season. She's not going to win MVP or anything like that. Like last year, she was ridiculous. Um, but she, this isn't. Uh, I want to be clear. Like it's not like I feel like some people might think that she is uh, on on the down the down trajectory in in her career. I feel like she still has a lot left. And I think a lot of people will look at the goals this year or how long she went, right? With um, between scoring goals, it went like it was like nine regular season matches, I think. Like it was a while. But what they didn't see was all the close opportunities that she had, all of the good shots that she had that were blocked or hit the post or a penalty wasn't called and she would have had a penalty kick, you know, like little things like that. So, yeah, definitely Team Alex here. Uh, Naomi Gurma. Made a huge save. Kalen Sheridan had a huge night. Full extension, top right corner on one of the saves. So, yeah. First half was amazing. Really good win. And this sets them up. They're in position now to end up winning the Shield, which goes to the best regular season squad, uh, which Sandy Guaive obviously have not won yet. And that would give them the bye. And they would have home field advantage throughout the entire um The entire postseason. If they're the one or the two seed, they get home field. Because if they're the two seed even, they host the semifinal match because they they get the bye in the quarterfinal. And then for the championship, it's at Snapdragon Stadium, regardless of who is playing in it. So I think way players are motivated because they want to play in a home championship game and just to play, just to guarantee a buy and play in a home semifinal match, which obviously hasn't happened yet in the short two year history. One postseason history right they had the quarterfinal match which was great uh, against Chicago got the win there last year but then they went on the road lost to Portland and obviously their season ended there they want to end this season regardless of what happens at home so they're, they're in good position to do that for sure good position to do that so October 7th at North Carolina that's their next match and then the final regular season match October 15th versus Racing Louisville You can get your tickets with the link that I'm going to put in the description. Kids will go; they can go free with the special link. It's the 200 section, I believe, is where that is allowed. Uh, First 10,000 fans get the basketball jersey giveaway. San Diego Wave special, San Diego Wave uh, basketball jersey. So I know that's going to be a hot item. So come support again. Padres like no postseason appearance. October fifteenth, come on out, San Diego Wave against Racing Louisville, their final regular season match, and then hopefully they'll have some time off because they'll have a bye before hosting hosting a uh, hopefully a, a couple a couple playoff games that they're playing in. Uh, final thing to touch on here around San Diego Sports, it was a lot this weekend. Obviously, this one uh, the worst for last, I guess. San Diego State got absolutely pummeled by Air Force. Hopefully, my laptop doesn't die here. While I'm saying this, um, absolutely pummeled 49 to 10. I know Air Force going in was what? Four and oh, I know it was going to be a tough test, but 49 to 10. That's inexcusable Four consecutive losses. So some fans, I think, and it's a good point, like they don't have a good win this season. Who did they beat early on in the season? Ohio. And then who was the other team that they beat? I'm blanking on the other team that they beat to start off the year 2-0. But then they play UCLA, big plays given up there. They play Oregon State, big plays there. They play Boise State, and there was mistakes there with Jalen Maiden and all that, right? Um, there was, I mean, they, their, the Boise State, I think it was their running back, right? Uh, that Genty that ran all over the place. And then here with Air Force, they ran all over the place. So San Diego State, 0-2 in conference. Jalen Maiden had 122 pass yards which that's not a lot. Um, Leading rusher was Keenan Christian with 58 yards. Look at this. Air Force outrushed San Diego State 287 to 105. The highlight, it it was a really cool field goal. 61 yards, I believe, from Browning, which was a Mountain West record, a school record, but that probably shouldn't be the highlight of a San Diego State conference game. If you win, I guess that's fine for it to be the highlight, but when you get crushed and all you have to hang your hat on is a field goal, like it has to improve. Their run defense has to improve. They were shut out in three of the four quarters. I was looking up at the watch party on Saturday, and I'm like, it's the third quarter, and they're down. What was the score? They had 42 points dropped on them, and it was the third quarter. Like, just inexcusable. There, was, there were some passing plays where just San Diego State literally let one of the Air Force players run run white, right by them. Just little things. It's like they got to clean it up. And they have put themselves in a bad spot now for wanting to win the Mountain West or finish above Boise State and Air Force, which are two of the best teams in the conference. They put themselves in a bad spot. Uh, again, four straight losses, 0-2 in conference play. And they need to win out while Boise and Air Force lose at least three times both of them, like Air Force has to lose three times, Boise has to lose three times, if San Diego State wants to finish ahead of those two teams. Win out and those things to happen. It's kind of like the Padres. Like, just, you, you have dug yourself a hole here, and you're going to have to play really well to get yourself out, and maybe it's going to end up being too big of a hole at the end of the day. Even if they start playing better, it might end up being too big of a hole. So, yeah, disappointing for sure. And now they have an off week, and then October 14th at Hawaii, so they're not going to be at home for a while, so we'll see what happens once they get back home. We'll see what happens in the Hawaii matchup. But yeah, Brady Hoke, I mean, he he mentioned it post-game about how a lot of things have to improve and running-wise, defense-wise and so Yeah. Uh that that was about as worse, excuse me, that was about as bad as it could have gone, right? I mean, Aztecs fans, leave your thoughts in the comments. That was that was rough to watch. At least at least there's some other Couple good San Diego sports teams, you know, carrying San Diego right now. Padres, no postseason. Aztecs, not great, but Loyal and Wave, at least they're going to be headed to the playoffs. All right. Let's, I'm going to get to the chat. I'm going to finish off with the chat here. Let's see. Before my laptop dies, I'm just going to really quickly scroll. I'm not going to be able to get to everyone. Because I know I'm behind in the chat here. Carter asked, "Did Tatis leave the game early?" Yes, but I don't think it was because of an injury. I think that was just the plan. They just had him start. Uh, Matt Lee, by the way, if you're in here, give me that 50 bucks, man. Pay up. They got back to over 500. Um, okay. Nightdream says, "Get rid of Snow and Hater. Sign Snow. Sign who? Snowdo. Sign Soto." Uh, I would be fine with that, yeah. But I don't know how likely that is. If they're signing Soto, it might be in free agency because right now, just the payroll, it just seems like they're going to... I mean, they're trying to trim that thing. I guess they could lower the AAV from 30 mil to under if they get an extension done, and it's like a really long extension. But Soto declined 440 from the Nats. Like His AAV, he's probably going to want the AAV to be Aaron Judge, like $40 million a year. Or definitely over three, over 30. As arbitration your your salary goes up and then in free agency you try to get even more than that and it's Juan Soto so he knows that in free agency he would be able to get more than 30 million dollars a year from some team so yeah um I'm not confident you know Hector Gomez the other day right he had a report about there's a good chance Soto stays and all that I'm not really on that side of things right now Um, continuing to go through the chat here, JD's third says Ben is the only positive about this Padres season. I, I don't know about that. Uh, thank you for the support, though. Hassan Kim's a positive. Waka Lugo, Snell was a positive even though he's leaving. hater pitch well, but I'm not saying he's a positive just because of some some of the things. Just just the mentality. I'm just tired of Josh Hader. Um, Tatis. Being healthy for most of the year, Soto being healthy, like those were positives. Um, but yeah, not a lot of them for sure. Reminder code Talking Friars, $20 off your order on SeatGeek. Check out Gaglione Bros main location on Friars Road. Best cheesesteaks in San Diego. Check them out. They're also at Snapdragon Stadium. Underdog Fantasy, you can get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Just use code Talking Friars or click the link in the description. Even though the Padres season is over, they still have Major League Baseball pick-ems and drafts and NFL and college football, a lot of different sports. I think they have WNBA going as well, so if you're into that, you can do that as well. Um, And then check out BreakingTea.com. Click the link in the description. Some great Padres, Aztecs, and Wave swag there. And FOCO, Padres bobbleheads. If you have a birthday coming up as a gift or something, they have some Padres bobbleheads there. If you couldn't pick one up as a Padres giveaway this year, some Padres collectibles as the winner as well. So thank you to my partners on this show for supporting throughout the entire season. Uh, they've been great to me and hopefully you guys can support them as well. Um, and again, thank you to all of you for continuing to support this channel, continuing to be a part of this great Padres community rough year, but I'm always going to, I'm going to be here for you guys. And, uh, hopefully I can enter. I- I've been able to entertain you this season. um, sometimes i haven't had i haven't been as energetic as other times but it's a long season just like some padres players it looks like at sometimes they're not as energetic at times as others or it seems like they don't hustle as much as others it is a long season um but i i like i said in my post game reaction i know that you guys were expecting me to be here and i didn't want to let you guys down so i'm always i'm someone that always is going to show up you know i'm not going to bail when things get tough or um you know say I'm gonna do something, you know, post game reactions after every game or something like that and then not do them. Like, no, I'm gonna keep doing it. Because I love the Padres and I know there's a bunch of other people that love the Padres as well. And I think it's a it's a good community that's only going to continue to continue to grow. Johnny says, Ben, please let hater go. Oh, if I was if I was in control, I would let hater go let Hater go. Of course I would. Uh, Snow wants to come back to San Diego. Maybe he does, but I mean, he's going to want the money as well, and I don't see the Padres doing that. Five yeah, five years, $200 million. Yeah, no thanks. Steven says, Manny wants Buck. AJ gave him Oriole coaches over the last few years, but AJ wouldn't give him back. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say I could see Buck come because if Bob Melvin's moving on, you're you're bringing in another veteran, you know, like, man, I guess they could have Mike Schilt just be promoted. So they could bring in Buck because those two guys are also veteran managers and have a lot of experience in baseball. So I guess, yeah, scratch that. I guess I could see Buck come in, but I just don't think that that would be very well received among the Padres fan base. And among someone in particular like Joe Musgrove and probably other guys in that clubhouse that had Joe's back during the wild card series last year. Like, you think Joe's just going to forget that? I mean, come on. And maybe, maybe Buck doesn't want to continue doing this and he just wants a break. He was emotional talking to the media today about him not continuing with the Mets. Uh, Steven says all managers should be allowed to pick their own coaches. Well, I I agree and kind of disagree on that because there's some coaches that the GM says like he is a coach here. He's going to be a coach because he's familiar with the players already, familiar with how things work. He can maybe be that connector with the front office if the manager doesn't have the best relationship uh, with the front office, right? The manager, that relationship's not great. Um, you know, and and the Ruben Niebla thing, like, they came in at the same time, Niebla and Melvin, like the same year. That was their first year. But if Ruben Niebla is like the coach that Preller's saying, no, he's the coach. I mean, I'm fine with that. It's when like the coach makes you keep like someone like Ryan Flaherty, someone, or let's say. They reassigned Tingler to a different role, and he stayed with the Padres, and Preller made Melvin keep Tingler on the staff. That's where it's like, okay, no, the manager should pick. I'm not saying Bob Melvin wouldn't have been able to come up with a good pitching coach, and he did agree. I think I think he said this in his press conference when he first got hired. He did like Ruben Niebla, so it's not like it was forced forced on him, but it was forced on him. Like, Niebla was, I think, hired before the manager. We knew Niebla was going to be the pitching coach, regardless of who was coming in. Hopefully, I gave a good answer. Was that even a question? It wasn't. It was more of a statement from Steven, But hopefully, I replied to that to your liking. Yeah, Showalter. I like how like detail how detailed he is, but I, I'd say no to that. No thanks. Can we just keep Bob Melvin? Like, how about that? How about that? Huh? If not Bob Melvin, I guess I'd be fine with someone like Mike Schilt. I know that name is being thrown around. Ryan Flaherty, I would not be stoked about, but I guess the players like him. Is, is that all that matters nowadays? Um, and I guess he has a good relationship with A.J. Preller because A.J. hired him, I think, right? And obviously, Manny has a good relationship with Flaherty. I'm sure other players on that team have a good relationship. Uh, Hope Springs Eternal says, I refuse to listen to what Bob Nightingale says because he does not know what he's talking about. That's fair. Go ahead. You you don't have to you don't have to listen. But he is kind of with the Melvin Preller stuff saying about like they've told each other it's simply impossible. They, or not each other, they've told friends and associates it's simply impossible for the two to coexist. That's that's kind of the same thing that other people have been saying. Do you not trust Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn? If you don't, then you just don't trust any reporters, pretty much, right? But they had a player tell them unfixable. Have an ac writing civil war from someone that's in that close to that situation uh it's kind of the same stuff that you're hearing it's it's not like it's just bob nightingale wrote it writing this like rogue uh report you know all right i'm gonna keep scrolling into the chat here down let's see if there's anything else here before my laptop dies Dave asked, what's Mike Shosha doing nowadays? He's done with managing or Mike Matheny? Well, Mike Matheny didn't even work out with the Royals. Uh, the Cardinals decided to part ways with them, so there's clearly a reason why they decided to, so I'd probably say no to that. Mike Sosha couldn't really get much out of a team with Mike Trout on it with the Angels. I know he, he won a World Series, right, 2002 with the Angels? That was a long time ago. Um, You know, it's a veteran man, but like if you're if Bob Melvin can't work with AJ Preller, then why would Mike Sosha be so willing to come in here and think that if that's going to work with AJ Preller? Same thing with like Buck Showalter or any veteran manager that has any relationship with Bo Mel, they will call Bob Melvin before they talk with AJ and be like, "Why didn't it work? Should I really go work with this guy?" And uh, so I don't know if AJ going to get a lot of interest from great options, or at least veteran manager options. Yes, Kirsten, I agree. 2023 season was weird, in fact. Steven says, are you aware that the players go behind Melvin's back to Peter and AJ? They fully take advantage of the open-door policy. They are tattle tattletales and complainers especially manny do you know that has that been was that reported that players go behind melvin's back to peter and aj i th- i thought that was more aj i could see manny doing that with peter like about a move that he wants or something um or like the contract extension but i thought that was more preller going behind the back of bowell talking to other coaches and saying i want this implemented i want the fast the high velocity machines stuff implemented and it's like let the coaching staff do their job let bob melvin tell the coaching staff what to do instead of going behind his back that's what i remember reading in these articles kirsten says marshall falk should coach aztecs i don't think he wants to do that Um, I still don't see Matt Lee in here. Interesting. Now that the Padres are above 500, interesting that he's not here. I'm kidding, Matt. If you're watching or listening to this, all love. uh, come neck come on to the next live stream where you're available and we can talk about paying up, which I kind of said earlier in the show, like, I don't even really want them to finish with, with a winning record because I don't want this season to be remembered as a winning season because it, it was a failure. Uh, major disappointment, but that was the bet. They got back over 500. It took them five months or whatever it was, but they got back over. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dan, for the support. It says, thanks, Ben, for your dedication. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it. Talking Friars, episode 41. Yeah, I did see that comment, by the way. Bochi and Schumacher in the playoffs. Good luck to them, right? No Padres in there. I guess, wish Skip Schumacher luck. That would have been interesting to see Skip be hired by the Padres as the manager. I, I'm I was definitely fine with Bob Melvin, not saying you I wasn't, but and I guess Skip wasn't ready when Tingler initially took over. Um, but now he was. He was the one that eliminated the Padres from postseason contention because he beat the Pirates and that's what eliminated the Padres. Uh but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he how he does. I think Marlins are facing the Phillies. Rangers, they did not win their division, so they're going to be playing wild-card series. Uh, Astros were the team that won their division uh, on the final day of the regular season. The Mariners didn't miss, didn't make the playoffs. Interesting. All right, Talking Fires, episode 41. That is it. Long show, almost two hours. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed that show. Thank you for the support. Really appreciate it. Off-season, I'm not going anywhere, so I'll be here Monday. Big day tomorrow. Hopefully some news comes out. Melvin, Preller, divorce coming. It feels like that's what's going to happen, but we'll see if a surprise comes. Thanks for watching or listening. See ya.